Welcome to the FTF Exchange Podcast. This is Maureen Lowe, founder and president of FTF. In this podcast series, we speak with industry professionals from leading financial and technology firms in capital markets. We will discuss an array of topics from current events to the latest fintech updates to human interest stories from time to time. Through these discussions, we strive to foster thought leadership and information sharing, and we certainly welcome comments and feedback for future episodes. If you are interested in participating in one of our podcasts, please reach out to us. Contact info can be found in the notes of this podcast posting. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, Thank you for tuning in to another FTF Exchange podcast. For this conversation, I'm speaking with Kirk Littleton, Sales Director at FundGuard. FundGuard is a cross-enterprise, AI-powered, cloud-native, and multi-asset class investment accounting platform for asset managers, asset owners, custodian banks, and fund administrators. Before we dive into the questions, Kirk, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and FundGuard? Yeah, thanks, Eugene. Thanks for inviting me today. Again, my name is Kirk Littleton, Sales Director at FundGuard. I've been here about three years. 2024 marks my 40th year in the servicing asset manager space. I've been helping managers with their technology and operations for uh, for the middle and back office for all those years. So I do have a historical perspective on front middle back office operations and how that impacts things like performance and and client reporting, things that are important to your audience. So what has been the traditional approach to front, middle, and back office operations? How do you see this dynamic changing in the face of digitalization and operational transformation? And more specifically, what is the impact on performance measurement and client reporting? Okay, great. So I'll get there. It's just going to take a little bit of a a little background to make sure we're all on the same page here. So I started my career back in the early 80s. And the investment strategies were mainly equities, fixed income, maybe some exposure to futures and options. And very few firms were even investing globally back then. So uh, investment accounting systems at that time, which really drives a lot of the the middle office operations and and feeds to performance and other systems, were really based on those limited asset classes. So, you know, over time, more complex Asset classes were introduced, like uh, mortgage-backed securities, asset-backed, inflation-adjusted. You had new swaps and swaptions and new versions of of those types of derivatives, as well as a a more global footprint. A lot of investment managers started to invest more globally. So that was sort of what I would say was a period when firms had to figure out, are we going to modify our existing platforms? Are we going to come up with new accounting systems to support these new asset classes? And that's sort of the beginning of what I call the segregated accounting systems, right? So then there was another wave of asset classes around alternatives, private markets, other instruments like venture capital, private equity, private debt, bank debt, you name it. Lots of new asset classes were introduced. And a lot of these accounting systems that are used to fuel the uh, performance engines really struggled with those asset classes. So that's when people started building disparate accounting systems that, you know, supported those types of instruments. Uh, and, and then you ended up with, you know, maybe four or five, six different accounting systems. And that's pretty common today, actually. And a lot of data silos, right? A lot of data silos. A lot of data data silos, yeah. But yeah. driven by the fact that the uh, legacy accounting system simply couldn't support the way that you handle a bank debt. So many mm-hmm. people in your audience would know Wall Street Office, they would know things like Yardi, Private Eye, EFront. These are all systems that were just born out of the fact that the asset classes proliferated in that way. So a lot of people call this the investment book of record or the IBOR. 
It's really the, the data that's used to fuel the front office and other middle office systems like your performance engine, like your client reporting, your billing, those types of things, right? So, you know, what was the impact of this, right? The impact of having multiple IBORs or multiple systems where the front office order management system struggled to get the right started a cash or the holdings or positions they were going to trade in that day. Um, so so what, what happened with those systems, the order management system started building what I'll call a limited purpose IBOR. Their IBOR was really fit for trading only. It would not support a full performance calculation. It would not support things like risk and analytics or client statements or trade settlements, reconciliations. It really was, what is my cash and what are my position holdings today available for sale right? or, or available mm-hmm. to purchase, right? And that's useful, very useful information for the time. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So you needed uh, different accounting systems to support the asset classes, but it really had this ripple effect on the front office and on the portfolio management tools, right? So that's that's when I would call it the age of data warehousing began, right? So, you know, I, I don't know exactly what year that would be, but everyone knows the different uh, data warehouse, data hub, operational data stores, data lakes, you know, and now, of course, we have the introduction of cloud warehouses like Snowflake. Yeah, and so that, that really kicked in about 20 years ago. Yeah. Right? Huge storage of data started about 20 years ago and then and then um, evolved from there. So so what are the alternatives uh, to this uh, data warehouse approach? Well, I mean, first of all, let's talk about the data warehouse and what the impact of that was. So you were building these data warehouses in, in order to bring the data together from the disparate accounting systems we just talked about, right? So if somebody wanted to say, what is my global AUM or what, you know, some kind of simple equation like that, it's like, well, I have to add up all my bank debt over here, my equities over there, my derivatives over there. So they brought the data together for that and for many other purposes, too, whether it was things like performance or risk and analytics, they would bring the data together for those purposes. Right. So the alternative to that is is to integrate the data in a, in a new, more modern way. Right. So. Lots of problems occurred with that data. So once you move data from an accounting system to a data warehouse, it's it's almost old the moment it arrives, right? It's already starting to experience some latency. As you know, accounting data changes. So if I send a whole bunch of data from my accounting systems over to the data warehouse, and then someone in the accounting operation says, oh, wow, I had to backdate some trades. I had to change some prices. Literally everything changes. Now I have to know, first of all, I have to know to re replenish that data in the data warehouse, and hopefully nobody uses that data that was sent. So the real mission is to try to avoid moving the data around to different spots. If you could have one system that could do it, or more importantly, uh, an ecosystem that allowed for these systems to talk together in real time. So the the first alternative to a data warehouse is really to, to create a data movement platform. So using APIs, using Kafka buses or MQ or some some method of moving the data so that I don't have to bring it in from a warehouse. And it has to happen quickly. It does. It has to happen in real time. So, for example, if I'm in I'm in a portfolio management role and I I'm leading using my OMS trading system, I want to know how much cash I have. I want to know how many shares of Apple I have right now. Right. Well, maybe Apple had a split this morning and the operations team did the split, and now I have twice as many shares as I thought I had. So I want to be able to you know go to that accounting system in real time through an API and pull the data back and then act on it. So whether I'm an OMS 
trading system or a performance system. I want to know what I own in real time. I want to know what the value of that asset is in real time, any cash flows that would affect performance. I need to know that type of stuff in real time. So that's that's the real answer right now. Given the way things are today, we should have you know a lot of efforts around APIs and, and Kafka buses. But the problem with it is m- many of the systems that are still in place today do not support uh, th- those type of technologies. So as a result, you're still stuck with, okay, how am I going to get this data in real time from this engine to the trading system, the order management, the client billing system, you know, what, what have you, whatever middle office or front office tool you're talking about. Right. And, and sometimes the data has to be transformed uh, before it can be sent over uh, and, and uh, massaged so that it can be added to certain reports and for certain reasons. And more and more firms are embracing investment strategies that re- require this fully integrated, real-time, intraday data delivery that you that we just talked about. What should performance in other middle office teams th- that continue to struggle with data from legacy and, and IBORs and related systems, how can they become change agents and, and, and improve the situation? Well, I think the first thing they need to do is, is modernize their accounting system. So, I mean, obviously, I'm a, uh, someone who works with accounting systems, so I know these things pretty well. But what needs to happen is new systems are coming to market, right? So some of these systems are 30, 40, even 50 years old, believe it or not, and they're still in use today. And they've been modified over the years, but they they can only take that technology stack so far. They can only advance it so far. So if you are looking at at replacing or modifying your accounting systems in some way, you have to think about three things. The first one is, is the system cloud native? Is it it a modern investment accounting platform that is API uh, based that it does have real-time processing, so there's no batch cycles and no online kind of jobs that you have to run in order to manufacture the data. And does it support AI and machine learning and, and things that are going to be operational game changers in the next decade, right? So a lot of the systems that are in place today are really not uh, set up in order to support a, a machine learning kind of model or an AI model. So that'd be the first thing I'd say is make sure that the system's cloud-native and modern. Secondly, and this is probably the most important, multi-asset class coverage. This is what I talked about earlier is how, how do I get an accounting system that can support everything that we invest in, every investment strategy, every stock, bond, future, bank, debt, real estate, everything. Why do I don't want six accounting systems in my ecosystem. I want one that can support the whole life cycle of all those asset classes. Believe it or not, that has not happened to date. There are plenty of systems that are now trying to build that and, and try to get to that model. Uh, to eliminate the need for those different engines and also eliminate the need for some of the data warehousing that's been going on because I don't need to aggregate it if I can communicate directly to that system for all asset classes through APIs. And then the other thing I think that's important is a multi-book capability. So a lot of firms will talk about, oh, I support multiple book. Well, they do that by taking the same account and propagating it two or three times and say, okay, I'll process the transactions and activity in the, in this portfolio one way for this book, another way for another book, and another way for another. But you're going to end up with three different accounts to, to actually reflect those different books. So a multi-book accounting system designed properly would have one account, one set of transactions and events that would generate all the different books based on configurable rules. So for example, you might want a book that's uh, 
an Ibor book for trading only. So that's all going to be on trade date. It doesn't care so much about things like general ledger or any kind of, you know, expenses or things like that. You're just trying to maintain the right cash in the right positions. The second book might be on T plus one. It might be an ABOR book where you're actually calculating the NAV for a mutual fund or some other pooled fund, pooled vehicle. In that case, you're going to have a general ledger. You're going to have capital stock trades. You're going to have expenses. You're going to have classes of shares. And then the third book might be a performance book. I only want to maintain the data that is needed by my performance engine. Don't don't cloud this database with a whole bunch of things that don't, that don't matter to me. So that's the point of a multi-book capability is, is being able to support multiple views of a portfolio all at once. If you take an example, like a mutual fund, right? Today, those uh, mutual funds are accounted for two, three, or four times. You know, once for the asset manager's IBOR, once for the accounting agent's ABOR, once for the custodian book, and maybe even a fourth book somewhere along the way. But that's all expense that the asset manager and or the shareholders of that fund will have to incur for no reason. If you do it all in one system at one time and create multiple books, you're going to have massive cost savings throughout that that, that process. But for, for those change agents, though, do they have to make a case? Do they have to quantify? Do they have to show uh, the expense of a mutual fund being put through four different systems uh, unnecessarily? Well, they do. But, you know, what's interesting is the technology was never there until recently with all the advent of all the cloud capabilities and, and lots of other techno- technological changes. This is now actually enabled, but it's not something it's not a vision that people quite have yet because they don't understand that the technology now supports it. Never did you think you could have one system that could process your IBOR, your ABOR, and your PBOR, and your custody book all at the same time. Like, that just doesn't happen. No one does it today. But it's now it's feasible if, if you have the right mentality. So I think the operations people need to kind of have a paradigm shift to say, I don't need multiple accounting engines. I don't need a big data warehouse to, to be the agent to push the data into the other systems. Let the APIs, let the Kafka, the MQ buses move that data in real time from one source to one receiving system that needs that data. Performance and and client reporting are great examples, right? They need data that has been verified and accounted for properly, and then I can use it in my performance calculation or I can put it on this this client statement. But I, I don't want to do that through a data warehouse where the data might be stale at the time I get it. So I pass it to the data warehouse. Maybe within 20 minutes, it's already changed and somebody came into that warehouse, grabbed that data, and it's it's inaccurate or it's incomplete. Mm-hmm. Do you think, though, that uh, the C-suite gets it, the CEOs, the CFOs, and the CTOs, and maybe even the, the chief investment officer? I think they do to some extent. I don't know that they've kind of thought it through completely. Like, how could I truly transform? You know, we talk in our industry all the time about transforming the middle office, right? And what does that mean? It means a lot of things in a lot of different people, but... To, to me, it's like minimize the number of steps you move the data around. If you're moving data around to different data warehouses or data hubs, it, it's always a losing proposition because by the time it reaches its final destination, it's, it's stale. It's inaccurate. So I, I think that you know when you think about digital transformation, you really have to um, embrace the latest technology to be API first, to be in the cloud. I mean, the cloud itself just generates a whole bunch of advantages that you 
you just can't even imagine with the, the legacy systems. They take upgrades, for example. Probably one of the biggest pain points for anyone running a performance engine or an accounting engine is I have to do these upgrades once or twice a year. And they're they're painful. They take you know weeks to prepare for and one or two weekends to get through and you just hope for the best. <laughs> you know, with a cloud-based solution, there's none of that. You just come in on Monday and everything's new. You got new things. It's kind of like Google. You know, if you go to use Google on Friday and you go to use it on Monday, it's going to be very different because they did a release over the weekend, but nobody had to test anything. No one had to upgrade anything. So if you, if you think about uh, Nirvana for this, it would be in a middle office operation with one accounting system supporting all your asset classes, communicating through APIs to other systems, whether it's the trade order management, the performance engine, the, the client statement, client billing, the attribution system, all of those systems should talk in real time to the the source that created the data, not some other place where you had to manipulate it, massage it, move it around, put it in this other box, and then pass it forward. That's the way we've been doing it, but it was out of necessity because the technology didn't support any other model. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then again, with this this streamlining that we're talking about, it is causing firms to um, increase their usage of cloud computing options. Um, so what are the advantages and disadvantages of that? Well, I don't see a whole lot of disadvantages. I mean, you know, it's funny. When I first started talking to people about cloud solutions, it was like, no, no, we don't do cloud here. We're we're an asset manager, security is, you know, utmost importance to us. So it was no cloud. Then quickly started to shift to, well, cloud maybe. Maybe we could do some cloud thing. Let's start talking about it. Very quickly after that, it went to cloud first, and we're now at cloud only. I mean, I talk to firms every day who say we will only replace any of these components of our ecosystem, if it's a cloud offering. That's a just far cry from where we were when people first started talking about cloud computing in our space. The asset management space was pretty slow to move to it, but once they moved, they moved quickly. They, they see the value and they mm-hmm. see the scalability and flexibility of a cloud. They see the cost efficiencies, all, all those upgrade things I just mentioned. You don't have to go through those. Enhanced security, you know, we're, we're in a age of ransomware and cyber attacks, you're going to have much richer cloud security than you are in legacy systems that are in somebody's closet in their their office. You have improved data management, analytics, uh, better resilience and redundancy with the systems when you're running those at AWS or Azure or when you're on the cloud hosting sites. And also just being more innovative, like enabling the adoption of new technologies around AI, machine learning, blockchain, distributed ledger type stuff. You know, just it's everything changes with the cloud and, and the modern technologies that are out there. And it's really incumbent on the people in our industry to, to look at what's really possible because we're, we're sort of stuck in our, you know, in our 80s and 90s solutions, you know, and there's different variations and some people get it better than others, but you know, the bottom line is we really have to embrace the new technologies and think about what's what's right for the next decade. Okay, great. Great. This is a great chat. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the FTF Exchange podcast. If you would like a turn in the hot seat, reach out to us at info at ftfnews.com and let us know what capital markets topics you'd like to discuss. Also, be sure to sign up to receive our email alert so you don't miss out on listening to future episodes. Just visit ftfnews.com and click the sign up link at the top of the page. Thanks again for listening to the FTF Exchange Podcast.